mindset. It's how we see life, people, events, and in some cases, it can even dictate how people see you. The High Frequency Mindset Podcast will help you raise your consciousness and see things in a new light and create new pathways to living better. Host Sally Wagner is a coach and entrepreneur, and she has some answers for you, as well as some soul-searching questions for her guests that will definitely raise your vibe. Here's Sally. Hi, everybody. It's Sally Wagner. Welcome to High Frequency Mindset Podcast. I'm so happy you've joined us today. And I can't wait to introduce you to my guest today. Joining me is Mike Raver. Mike, welcome. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you, Sally. My pleasure. It's great to be here. Awesome. Well, let me tell people about you because you have a fascinating background. Mike is a number one international best-selling business author, speaker, and coach. His skills and capabilities of leadership, building relationships, growing different businesses, and writing a book with his daughter on the secret to raising financial savvy kids helped to make him the father, business, and wealth architect he is today. I love that you're doing that with your daughter. Thank you. Mike is continually perfecting his skills in the areas of financial management, leadership, and business development around the many challenges faced by small business owners. He offers a bonus of having a real estate, business, insurance, and financial planning background. He has also written a book sharing many lessons learned from starting, building, and selling a business 100% by referral. Mike works with coaches, influencers, and professionals who are striving to be thought leaders. He helps them fully understand their own superpowers or core genius and step into their purpose as they help their clients obtain peace and profitability in their business. Mike created a powerful framework to help his clients move, remove false beliefs that often get in their way, such as dealing with imposter syndrome and the many challenges faced by small business owners. Mike helps his clients reach financial liberation through creating community. That is a fabulous statement. And I, what I know about you as I've known you over approximately the past year, I, I think that fits you perfectly. Um, Thank you. So many things. And, and you and I have, have connected over different aspects of our backgrounds, the real estate to the, the coaching, <laughs> the, the, all of that. And as we were chatting before we started, you, you shared something with me about a superpower that you have. And I'd love to ask you to share that with our listeners. Okay. I would love to. And it, it kind of goes back to, and I shared this story with you before, how a couple of years ago, my daughter and I were talking over dinner and she kind of stops and she thinks for a second, she looks and she says, dad, I'm convinced that we're all born with a superpower or core genius. And it's our job to figure out what that is and ensure with the world. And then she paused and she says, I've watched you as your, as your daughter and as a professional in the marketplace and watched how you've shown up year in and year out and how you've helped not only raise myself and my brother and sister, but also help mom with her business. And you've helped other clients along the way. Yeah, I still feel like you're holding back. Why do you think that is that? And then she paused. I thought about it for probably what felt like forever, but it's really like five seconds or 10 seconds. It says, well, I don't know. I mean, I guess I always feel like there's still one more thing I learned, one more book I need to read, et cetera, that I still don't know quite enough to show up as the true expert. 
And then she'd say, but dad, you are an expert. But until you can see that, unfortunately, you're cheating the world and what you could be offering. And that kind of sent me into this kind of like this journey. Figured, okay, so I've had many coaches over the years say that all you need, Mike, is more self-esteem. It's like, okay, well, that should be too hard to develop more self-esteem, do things, and through action, create results, and through results, creates confidence, right? So it seemed pretty easy, but yet I still kept having that nudge or that itch, so to speak, that, no, you got to take one more class. You got to, and it's funny because over the years, I've read hundreds of books, got 10 different real estate certifications because I thought that I needed that one extra CRS, CRB, on and on and on the initial goals. I once put put together a business card and tried to put all the different certifications I had, and it wasn't even with my name left. <laughs> so, long story short, it wasn't until I came to the conclusion that I was suffering from imposter syndrome, and that I thought that even though I was an expert, because I didn't believe that I was an expert, I would show up as an imposter and people would figure it out. And it was that fear that kept holding me back. And when I realized and talking to different clients that I had who were very successful in their own right, and they too had similar beliefs that allowed me to work through it. I actually ended up writing a chapter in a book on how to keep your influential capabilities from being overpowered by imposter syndrome. I went into more detail on imposter syndrome, et cetera. But Bottom line, what that taught me was it's not like confidence is something that you just flip a switch or and goes away or become more confident or that you do one more thing and then through that you become more confident. It's an ongoing journey, but really it starts up here. And that was really when I allowed myself to step into and become that expert, which kind of brought us to what we're talking about before and why I love what I do now, because I'm now able to help other people do that. Yeah. Uh, all the things you said are, are so true. I mean, it's, it's you, the mindset, you know, the mindset is so important. Um, Bob Proctor says it's 95% mindset <laughs> and, mm-hmm. and the rest is everything else. Um, who knows? Uh, and yet mindset is such an important part of it. And, and the things that we tell ourselves, you know, you were telling yourself things like, I'm not the expert. I'm not, I need one more thing, one more thing. And, and it, it's, it's not what you don't know that holds you back, right? It wasn't those books you hadn't read and those certificates you hadn't earned yet. It's what you do know that's not true that holds you back. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And that's such a, a discovery for us to understand that the challenges not to learn more, although that's fabulous and I do that. I love it. Uh, the challenge is to earn, unlearn what we know that's not true. Yeah, so true, so true. Yeah. And one of the things that I found on a personal level, and I'll share a quick story around that, was how much of it was evil and my own interpretation of how I thought I needed to show up versus what was really required of me or what the audience, so to speak, wanted to hear. I remember years back, and you'll appreciate the story given your background as well, that I was a, a real estate um, instructor in Seattle, sort of instructor in Seattle for teaching um, continuing education courses. And one of the agents that I worked with, she um, taught for a local community college, and she ended up getting sick the day before the final class, and if they didn't take this two classes, they would have failed and they wouldn't have been able to graduate. Well, they wouldn't have failed, but they would have been able to graduate if they needed those to graduate. So she called me up and 
a panic. He says, Mike, is there any way that you can pitch in and step in and teach the last two classes for me? I said, sure, of course. You know that if you need my help, I'm going to be there for you. What's the class? And she says, oh, it's real estate appraisal. And I think to myself, oh, piece of cake. I do compare and market analysis for agents. I know how to do a property. Piece of cake, no problem. So I volunteered to do that. And she said, okay, great. I'll leave the book for you at the desk. So when you get there in the morning, we'll be there. So I show up all night about how I'm going to teach these college students how to appraise a property. And I grab the book and I walk into the classroom. It's probably 15 people in the classroom. And they all look up at me and I'm now the instructor in the room. And I was a guest instructor, so I really had to be on top of it. And I turn my book over and I read the title. It's Real Estate Appraisal, Law and Ethics. <laughs> like, oh, okay. So I quickly paid through the book and it's like, okay, I'm reading Greek here. <laughs> yeah. And then I look around the room and I said, and as situations like that, I quickly went into an icebreaker and had people introduce who they were and why they were there, what they hoped to get out in the last two days. And they went around the room. One person was a residential appraiser who was taking her clock hours, and she had been in the business for roughly 10 years. And then it was students, 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 and another person was a commercial appraiser. appraiser. And he was in the, there also for clock hours. So I had a commercial expert, and I had a residential expert, and the rest were students. So like, okay, talk about a process syndrome. If I could have climbed around the table and escaped, I would have right then there. But I was like, okay, how am I going to pull this off? Because I can't read from the book. I knew that they already read the chapters because it was their final two weeks of class. Yeah. And at that point, they knew more than I did. And the two experts would certainly see me as being that imposter, right? So I said, okay, so... Let's start with questions that you have up to now. And if they would ask a question about real estate appraisal that I understood, I'd answer the question. And if they would ask questions or as we got into topics that were in the book related around law and ethics, which I clearly wasn't in a position to answer, I would look, depending on the question, I would look at the residential appraiser or I would look at the commercial appraiser and say, so what would you, what have you been in the industry for years? What would you find or how have you found that this ethical situation has come up? And then they would answer it. And I literally, for the two days, facilitated the class and let the residential show up in her expertise, let the commercial appraiser show up in his expertise. And they really taught the class. And at the end of the class, we talked about the day and everybody went home, they were happy and they graduated and all that good stuff. But that was a lesson to myself that it's not so much having to show up as the expert, but having the ability to read the situation, read the room, so to speak, and utilize the skill sets that are in front of us. Yeah. Yeah. What a fabulous strategy to enlist the experts in the room, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah. I then quickly went home and called the appraisers that I worked with, who I got an argument over the phone because they went appraiser undervalued a property because it was a land loan. And he appraised the land and the value that was truly there was the structure. And I did it as the value of the whole property. And we went around there because obviously ethically and legally, he valued was a land loan. Therefore, he could give value to the land. It didn't matter what the structure on the property was worth. Yeah. And yeah. so I called everybody that I knew and apologized. And said, no, <laughs> I found religion. I realized that legally I wasn't fair to you guys. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Well, that, that's awesome. I, I love that, how you uh, <clears throat> were able to use the strengths and the assets that were available to you, right? 
Um, And it's, it's all about the mindset. I think everything goes back to the mindset. Um, Mm -hmm. Very interesting. So I I remember you telling me a story once about uh, your daughter applying for an orchestra. Is that, am I remembering correctly? And and there was a really interesting um, way that you helped her to reframe it and, and gain a different perspective on it. Yeah, definitely. And that kind of one goes ties into mindset too as well. Whereas she was a sophomore in high school and she wanted to, she was in one orchestra that they had called Flute Chorale, which is a flutist. And she wanted to become part of this, what they called the Philharmonic Orchestra, which was an orchestra. And some of her friends were in there. Anyway, she got waitlisted. She got into the one, but she got waitlisted in the other. And both happened to be on the same day. One was from 4 to 6, and the other was from 6.30 to 9.30. And, of course, tears are streaming down her face, and she's up saying, Dad, I can't believe I got waitlisted. I practiced so hard. It's not fair. And she starts to go into a pity party. And I said, Sabrina, first of all, fairness has nothing to do with it. You practiced, and you truly had the skill sets. But for whatever reason... Really, you get three answers in life. Yes, no, or not now. It's not yes because you're waitlisted. It's not no because you're waitlisted, which means it's not now, right? So I said you can't control always the end result, but you can control the action and what you put into getting you towards that end result. So, and she goes, yeah, I know I practice. I practice. I said, I understand that. But hypothetically, since you have to go there anyway, you're done at six. What if you were to go over to the orchestra and for a half hour, put yourself in a mindset. Act as if you were already there. You are already part of the orchestra. How would you show up? What would you do? She says, well, the first half hour, I guess we set the room up and we get everything ready and I would help with that. So I said, okay, good. Do that. So she did that day or week one and then the orchestra started practice and she left. And the third day, week of seeing her do this, I was trying to second myself, why signing up for continued failure? This poor kid is obviously upset. You can't stay and be part of the orchestra. So I asked her, I said, Sabrina, I see that you're upset. Are you okay with this? I mean, I am so appreciative of the fact that you are continuing to show up like you are. Are you okay with that? She says, well, Dad, I'd rather be in the room for a half hour a week than that at all. So, yes, of course, I'm disappointed, but I want to be part of the orchestra. And even if that just means helping to set up, I'm good with that. So I said, good. So, Towards the end of the fourth week, I get a call from the senior conductor who says, hey, Mike, I just want to let you know that I've opened up another chair for your daughter. I love having her there. She's been such a valuable part of the orchestra, and I would love love to have her part of it. And that became her experience, and then she ended up going all the way to the top of the orchestra, the symphony there, and the interesting thing about it is now as an adult, as graduate from grad school, she is now the director of outreach for the same symphony. Wow. So she went from being waitlisted and ready to throw in the cards and fighting through it and mentally putting herself in a mindset, and then she broke through that, and now she's there as an employee versus a musician. Wow, that is an amazing story. And, and there's so many things to it, right? It's, it's the mindset. It's taking those steps, uh, regardless, right? Uh, mm-hmm. it's following the system. Well, and, and you asked her the perfect question. Well, what would you do, uh, if you were there? And, and she identified it and she took those steps. And as she took those steps, 
it came into her life. Yeah, so true. Yeah. And sometimes practicing or being ready as, say, a technician or as a musician, that's very important. But if there's only two chairs and the two chairs aren't open, it doesn't matter how much you practice, there's only two chairs, right? However, again, through the proper mindset, doesn't mean there can't be three chairs if there's a reason for that. Yeah, exactly. Such an amazing story of triumph and success and important principles of the mindset and following the system and taking the steps because, you know, it's not just thinking happy thoughts like Peter Pan, Mm -hmm. right? (laughs) We are responsible to take action on everything. Uh, It's kind of like my little formula, MSG, mindset, skill set, get off your asset. You know, clearly, (laughs) clearly she had the right mindset uh, as you guided her to reframe it and get that different perspective. Clearly she had the skill set or she never would have even been considered. Right. She was a a musician. She is a musician. And then those action steps really sealed the deal for her. So definitely. I think when it with the proper mindset, but then when you also earn right to have that when I when you earn the right to accomplish the results that the proper yeah. mindset will give you fast forwarding now she's a sophomore in college and she got a scholarship to ohio state as a blue performance major and they have auditions every year for the seat to see what seat where you sit at the upcoming year and one of her classmates who was also her friend was playing it she had played a couple of years before so she she knew how to play the piece really well. And she's giving her classmate advice on how to play the, how to play the piece better for audition. And afterwards, she plays a piece, the audition, and her that or her walks up. You know that you two are auditioning for the same seat, right? And my daughter says, Yeah. So so is it good to give her is it a good idea to give her advice on how to play the piece better when she's competing with you? And my daughter didn't even skip a beat. She looked at her, she smiled, she says, first of all, we're not competing with each other. Second of all, the only way she's going to get that seat is if she outworks me. And if she does, she deserves it. But if she doesn't do as good as she could because she doesn't know how and I could help her do better, is it right for me to think of myself first instead of her? Of course, I didn't do everything I can to help her win the seat. But she still has to earn it. And the instructor looked at her and says, that's exactly why I I'm so glad you're in the program. So it's, again, that mindset goes all the way through while we're there. It's still keeping it in that community. Yeah. We're back in the beginning, building the community, sense of community. Right. It's a we, not I thing. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It's, uh, and I, I love that she recognized, no, they're not in competition with each other. <laughs> they're, you know, if, if we're competing with anything, we're competing with ourselves to, to be better and to grow and to be more than we are the day before. So, yeah, yeah. That's, that's awesome. Thank uh, you. So I'm, I'm curious about the book you're working on with your daughter. Yeah, well, we are working on um, the book that her and I are working on is called The um, Parenting That Makes Sense, The Secret to Raising Financial Savvy Kids. And it comes back to she has a passion to help kids create financial literacy so that they're able to not only understand how money works and how to save and properly manage their money at a young age, but how to set themselves up so that when they, as an example, they can get a scholarship for school like she did, or when they 
graduate from high school or college or wherever life would take them, that they had the financial means to be able to stand on their own feet and not be um, mm-hmm. dependent on an outside source, so to speak. So it talks about the financial part. How do you, there's a system that she created on um, when a child gets a dollar, as example. First thing is they take 10% and they share it or tie it and give it back to society. And then they save 40 or 50%, depending on the child and the parent, and then they can spend the rest. And it teaches them at an early age to learn how to only live off of immediate, modest portion of what they make. So as they grow, hopefully their income grows, but they'll keep that 40, 50%. Obviously it could go up to 70% at some point, but... So they always have a surplus of income versus uh, deficit of income. Yeah, that's great because so many of us don't learn that, <laughs> you know. Mm-hmm. So and, and that's <clears throat> you work with a lot of small business owners, as do I. Uh, that's uh, something that people need to learn at every age, not just children. Mm-hmm. So I can see how that is uh, going to be a, a fabulous resource. And it was nice because it was designed or written in a format that the parents, and it came back to, she would do um, trainings, workshops for kids. Mm-hmm. And at the end of the workshop, the parents would always say, well, what about us? How do, like you just said, how do we teach our kid these sets if we don't have them ourselves, yeah. which is what brought me to the financial arena. And the mm-hmm. book was written as a resource for the parent to use to teach the kids. But at the same time, they also are teaching themselves and taking yes. and incorporating the exact same disciplines into their own life so that it becomes, I'm a firm believer that especially things like money should be something that is a family conversation versus when you get older, you need to learn this stuff. As an example, we had to go to take the family to Florida. So we knew how much money we needed to pay for the trip ahead of time. And the kids were involved. And every Sunday after dinner, we would go through our family budget and make sure that there was money set aside for that. And because the kids had skin in the game, they held us accountable. There was one time I wanted to buy pizza for the kids, as an example, because I was done want to cook dinner. I pointed this I'm taking big pizza plates. And my daughter, Sabrina, was nine at the time, was dad. Is pizza budget? I was like, <laughs> no, it's not. I, but I'm tired. I don't want to cook dinner. And our twins who were six at the time was, Daddy, Florida. Aww. We're going to go to Florida. <laughs> so we went home and they helped me cook dinner. And at go. the end it's... of the day, yeah, they were yeah. more tied to it than I was at the time. <laughs> it's it's <laughs> building the awareness though, right? Mm-hmm. And and what a fabulous lesson for them and for you. And now you're sharing it with other people and it will help them. Um, you know, we hear a lot about generational wealth and what an important thing that is. Uh, you know, you worked in real estate. I worked in real estate, you know, and those first time home buyers and they're starting on that path of building generational wealth because the home is one of the major ways that people do that. And that is one of the linchpins and one of the indicators of success for the children in that family. And and when you can make it a family event and a family activity, um, what a what a wonderful legacy you're you're passing on to and creating for those children. Thank you. Yeah. And it's been fun because now that they're fiscally responsible, we don't have to worry about them as adults, and now they can share with other people. So it's win-win. Yeah, 
Absolutely. So it's just that cycle, right? Yeah. Um, <clears throat> well, we've talked about so many important coaching principles and you do coaching, I do coaching and we do other things as well. So uh, we, we have feet in different worlds because we, we know the practicalities of business and running small businesses. So in your experience, I know you deploy and employ a lot of coaching principles. Is there one that you would identify that really you see played out in your life and in your business and is very meaningful to you? Yes, I would say coaching from the heart, meaning figure out where the person that we're mentoring or coaching, whether it's a business owner or an employee of ours, etc., figuring out what is really important to them and or what is holding them back. A great example is I had a business owner I was coaching. She was brilliant. She worked for a corporation, but she was brilliant because she had all the skills to do very well in her career. Yet she kept hitting this glass ceiling. And we were talking, and she's going through her skill sets and her job, et cetera. And it's like, I don't get it. You should be doing three times what you're doing now. What is holding you back? I'm thinking, I'm asking her, I'm asking her questions and kind of thinking about this as she answers it. And I realize that it's not her present situation, not her career, it's not her skill sets. Therefore, a heart issue that is somewhere else. Back to Paul, knows I can asking her about her belief around money, et cetera. And I realized that when I was very young, she was taught that it was a sin to earn more money than she needed to live comfortably. And she had a very comfortable lifestyle. And once I realized where her heart at, which was getting away of her head, so to speak, what her skill sets, right? I told her to pull a book. And actually, I asked her, what are three things that mean to you? And she gives me three. And then I said, pick one. And she picks one. I then asked her to pull out her book and had write a check for $10,000 to that charity in three months from that day, which she did. And she said, she says, what happens if I don't have $10,000 to cover it? I said, what happens if you do when you don't write the check? And she's okay. So long story short, she did that three months. Later, she was able to, she had earned 10000 plus more, right? She took the check and gave it to the charity. And the impact that she got, she realized that if she had the ability more and she didn't live that gene superpower, like we we're talking about at the beginning, was she really serving or was she cheating her clients, her ability to serve. And once she realized that, her income started to go up, her career started to increase because she no longer had that hang up holding her back or the anchor holding her back. So everybody, we all have our things and or it's a goal. My daughter's goal was to get into the Philharmonic Symphony, right? So on a heart level, she had to put herself in the room. She had to act as if, and because at a heart, she believed it was possible. It became her. You have shared such wisdom with us. How can people get in touch with you? Well, um, probably my website, which is 100 million strong, 100 million strong spc.com. That would be my website. 
and or if you spell it out, 100, O-N-E, million, strong, spc.com. That brings you to a page that has all my content information as well. Fabulous. I will put all of that information in the show notes so people can read and know how to get in touch with you. And thank you again for being here. I so appreciate that you shared your time and your wisdom with us. My pleasure. Thank you. And it's great. Thank you for inviting me. And thank you, everyone, for joining us today. Make sure you tune in next time for High Frequency Mindset Podcast. Mm -hmm.